you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to be in the book of 2 Peter, which is towards the end of the New Testament, the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. So if you want to start hunting that, you're welcome to do that. The verses will be up on the screen right behind me as well, so you don't have to if you're not capable of doing that. And if you need a Bible, there's one right in the seats in front of you. Feel free to use that as well. We'll be in 2 Peter chapter 1 today. It is amazing, though, that we have come to the final Sunday of 2019, isn't it? It's pretty quick how everything went by and amazing at all the things that happened. There were so many wonderful things that happened to some of us and some things that were not so wonderful, tragic news and sad news, difficulties that we all went through this past year. But sometimes it's nice to come here on this final Sunday of the year and tell God, God, I want to thank you for what you've done this past year and also to think and to ponder about what this future year holds for us as we go as a church, as families, as individuals, what happens next. One of the things I love about the end of the year, though, is those Christmas cards that you get from families everywhere, these perfect pictures of perfect little children that could never do anything wrong in their lives. If you look on social media, it's flooded with images of these perfect little children, these little angels that could never do anything wrong with the light glistening off of them just right and where they've got the perfect smile and the perfect clothes and everything's put together so perfectly. And I love looking at these photos because number one, I know those are completely false and I know that for sure. But number two, because I know that I'm envious. I'm deeply envious of those children because they have photos that look like that. Here's the difference between children today and many of us. All of their pictures look perfect because here's the difference. If you think about it, when, when I was growing up, when many of you were growing up, we had photos if you had a camera, if you were lucky enough to have parents that actually went and got the film developed, you had a camera with photos and you had some pictures of your childhood. And those pictures probably didn't look like the perfect photos that you see with children today. Today, children, they, their parents pull out a phone, take 25, 30, 40 photos in a minute, and they pick the one that looks perfect, and we have this wonderful image of a wonderful child. Children today have perfect photos. Meanwhile, my childhood photos look more like this. And this is not a good look. <laughs> wow, thanks for laughing. That was not expected. So... <laughs> My childhood photos, the rare photos that I have are, first of all, my parents didn't have a camera till way later, so the few photos that I have typically look something like that photo that you just saw right now. You'll notice a bunch of things right from that photo, and I can give you some more stories if it helps. Number one, you'll notice my tooth is chipped. I had a chipped tooth for about six years from a bicycle accident that I had, so my tooth was chipped. You'll notice from this wonderful hairstyle that I have that my dad cut my hair until I was about 13 years old, and he has no business cutting anyone's hair. And so he would cut my hair until I was about 13 years old. More than that, I had an older brother whose clothes I would have to wear as hand-me-downs, and most of the clothes were about three or four sizes too big for me because he was way larger than I was. But every photo I have represents me looking something like this. Now, I'm also overlooking one other thing that you probably noticed right away are those two NASA telescopes sitting on my eyes. Those two, uh, I call them girl repellents is what I call them as a child. And so these two glass, these glass lenses that I would have to wear as a child were a huge definition of who I was as a child because every photo of me is me wearing these glasses. And here's why. 
Something you may not know about me is that I am terribly nearsighted. How many of you are nearsighted in the room right now? About, yeah, about 30, 40% of you in the room are nearsighted. In fact, uh, data shows us that about 40% of Americans are nearsighted, which means that we can see things when they're very close to us, but not when they're held further away. Uh, this is a, an, a condition called myopia. And so the vast, or well, not vast, but a huge number of Americans have myopia, nearsightedness. That means your prescription on your glasses or your contact lenses are somewhere in that minus one to minus two range, if that number makes sense. Then there's about 4% of people in this country who have what's called high myopia. High myopia is anyone who has a prescription of about minus six on their glasses or contact lenses. Anyone have that? Looks like no, maybe one or two hands I see in the room. Minus six is what we call high myopia. Then there's me. I have what's called extreme myopia. It's one of these things where it's about 1% of the population. My prescription's about a negative 12 is what my prescription is. So it's way, way hard for me to see anything unless I'm wearing highly specialized contact lenses. And so for me, nearsightedness has just been a part of my life. It's something that I've always dealt with. I've never really been able to see anything without glasses or contact lenses. And it's a part of who I am. I am nearsighted. In fact, just this past summer, I've got many stories of my nearsightedness getting me in trouble, but just this past summer, we were on vacation. Uh, we were staying at a hotel, and I was in the swimming pool, uh, went down underwater, decided to open my eyes, and lost both contact lenses. And now I have to figure out a way to get back to the room to get my spare pair, and you can imagine the hijinks that ensues when a person who can't see anything unless it's touching his nose, walking through the hallways of a hotel, finding every door and pressing his face up against the door to see the number on the door to walk up to the next one and ultimately find the room. Nearsightedness is a part of who I am. And this morning, as we come to this final Sunday of the year, this word nearsightedness is something I'd like for us to hear about. In fact, it's something that scripture talks about as well, nearsightedness. When we come together on the final Sunday of a year, and as we look forward to not only a new year, a new decade that's in front of us, as we start to look ahead, this idea of having a clear vision of God, a clear understanding of what he wants of me and who he is to me is going to be critical. Because if we're honest, that's what often gets in the way of the lives that God wants us to lead, is this inability to see what he wants us to see. Our next sermon series, which begins today and goes through the month of January, I encourage all of you to be here for this series. We're calling it very cleverly, 2020 Vision. It's not very clever. I think every church in America is calling it the same thing. But 2020 Vision, this idea of seeing this coming year with better clarity when we see it the way God wants us to see it. So if you have your Bibles open this morning, we're looking in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. We read there like this. <clears throat> His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, 
and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9 reads like this. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. As we sit here on this final Sunday of the year, the final Sunday of this decade, there's an opportunity for us to look back and ask one simple question. Why did I struggle to see what God wants me to see? What got in the way of me seeing and knowing God the way he wants me to know him? In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter, the apostle, the disciple of Jesus Christ, towards the end of his life, is writing this message, this letter, to churches scattered around the world, but most importantly, churches who are going through persecution, going through difficult times. And he writes this letter to them, and he encourages them, but he also gives them the advice of an older man, of a, of a person who's been in faith and has gone through struggles, and he gives them this advice that he imparts to them towards the end of his life. And the advice is simple. The advice is that God has done everything you need. He's done it all. He's paid the price for you. He's bought you. He's ransomed you. He's redeemed you. He's done it all is what Peter keeps telling the church. There's nothing else that you can do to earn more salvation. God has done it all already for you is what Peter keeps stressing. But he also stresses that there is this knowledge of God. There's this understanding of God that each of us can daily wake up and try to gain more and more of. There's this way for us to get to know him better, his purpose better, his mission better, his will better, and that takes an intentional desire for the knowledge of Jesus Christ, is how Peter puts it. And so throughout this passage of scripture, he gives us this advice, like a father to a son, like an older grandfather to a church that's waiting to hear this news. He tells them, yearn for the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Seek God with all that you have. But here's what happens to us. And I think it happens more so maybe even now in the busyness of 2019 and 2020 America, this busyness this craziness that we live through every day where there are so many things competing for our sight, for our vision, competing for our attention, and here we are in the midst of that competition starting to stack the deck in the way that best fits us. We prioritize things based on what affects me immediately. What comes into my life and affects me now is what we prioritize. This is what Peter calls nearsightedness. He says you're so capable of seeing what's right in front of you that you're missing everything that's outside of that. If you ask yourself this question this morning, why did I struggle to see what God wants me to see in 2019? I'm sure many of us can honestly say, and I'm right there in that boat, that I put things in front of me that I focused more on and missed what God was doing beyond what I was focused on. 
The truth is all of us have things that we've put there, that we've blocked our vision of God with by putting something in front of him and therefore making ourselves, what Peter says, nearsighted to the point of blindness. Nearsightedness to the point of blindness. That we became so fixed on certain things, and those certain things for all of us could be different. Things like family, maybe. Things like education and career and jobs and things like problems and health and anxieties and worries, we became fixated on those things and as a result missed everything else that God was doing in the process. So this morning as we start to dive a little deeper into this passage, I hope you'll start to let those things come up to the surface. Be honest with yourself. What were the things that I put between me and God? What were the things that blocked my sight of God that kept me from seeing him the way he desired to be seen? Because I think there are really three things that prevent us from seeing God or seeing what God wants us to see. Three things. And number one, I believe it's because we look in the wrong places. We look in the wrong places. I remember years ago when I was working here in Boston, I remember there was a coworker of mine who said that she and her husband had just gotten some tickets to see the Red Sox versus the Yankees. And for me, that was a big deal. And so I said, I'd love to go see the game as well. And so they were going to the game and they said, look, the only catch is that we'll be sitting in uh, obstructed view seats is what they kept saying. And so I said, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to a game. I don't care where we sit. We're going to be at Fenway Park. We'll get to see my favorite team and the team from Boston. And so we'll get to see them (laughs) playing together in this park. And so for me, it was this exciting time to go until I got to the stadium and realized that when we took our seats, there was a pillar directly in front of me as we sat. When they said obstructed view, they meant obstructed view. All I could see was the paint on the bricks on that pillar, and that's it. I had to stand up for the rest of the game and go back to the little walkway to watch the game because the view was so obstructed. But ask yourself this morning, where has your vision of God been impaired? What pillar, what obstruction has gotten in the way of you seeing what God wants you to see? For many of you, God wants you to see his mission, the people that he wants you to care for, the people that he wants you to talk to them about him. Those things are being obstructed by something. And here's an opportunity for us on this final Sunday, and as we start to look into this upcoming sermon series, where week after week we'll start to find ways to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, this morning is a chance for us to look back and to figure out what blocked our view of God. I think for us, sometimes we just look in the wrong places. I think this is the situation with our entire world right now. Everyone's looking for answers. Everyone's looking for purpose and for meaning and for satisfaction, but we're looking in the wrong places. We look in the wrong places. How many times have you walked into a closet or a pantry and someone told you to go find something and you walked in knowing that that's supposed to be right there and so you fixed your eyes on that one spot and as a result, couldn't see the rest of the room or the rest of the closet and missed what was somewhere else instead of right where you thought it was supposed to be. In our spiritual lives, it's often the same way. We look in the wrong places, and as a result, we end up, we end up completely dissatisfied. I think of it this way. If you look at some building blocks, here's what we typically do. I stole these blocks from my kids, so I hope they don't mind. We typically build like this. Here's me. This is me, and I build like this. I will build on myself. 
my goodness, my excellence, my, my wonderful education and my career and my excellence is what I will build on. So I will start to build on that. I'll build things like my career off of that. I'll build my family off of that. I'll build all of my finances and all of my capabilities off of that. And one by one, we start to add blocks to it. But here's what happens. As soon as a little bit of a nudge from life comes along, the whole thing just shatters. It falls apart quickly. And I know I'm not the only one in this room who's experienced that that I build on myself and I assume there is hope in myself, but as soon as something comes along, a bad diagnosis comes along and it shakes the whole foundation and everything falls apart. I lose my job and it shakes everything and everything falls apart. It's happened to so many of us in this room and we know that feeling. There's only so much that I'm capable of doing, but I still want to build on myself. Here's how Peter talks about it. He says we get rid of this first. We stop building off of this. And instead, he says, we build off this foundation of God, this foundation that's firm. In fact, when you look at that list of things that Peter says to build on in your faith and your knowledge of God, he says, build on the foundation of God. So he says, add faith to virtue. To virtue, he says, add godliness, add knowledge, add self-control. Add this ability to love God with all your heart, to follow after his mission. And no matter what happens, it doesn't fall because it's ultimately built on one who cannot fall. It's built on a solid foundation. Here's the mistake that so many of us make every single week. And we come to an end of a year and we look back and we say, God, why didn't I see what you wanted me to see this year? The problem was that we were looking in the wrong places. We looked to ourselves first. Every time an issue came up, I had to solve it myself. Every time something good happened, it was congratulations to myself. It was this constant me first over everything else. In the book of Peter, Peter reminds the church that the reason why we often can't see what God wants us to see is because we put ourselves in front of ourselves. We see ourselves instead of seeing God, and we've become so nearsighted. My life, my issues, my needs, my kingdom, we build those things and we miss what God is doing. The truth is for many of us, this is the case. We don't always want to admit it, but that's what we do. I ask you today, make and take this inventory of this past year. For many of you, if you have a credit card and, and the credit card company towards the end of the year might send you a year in review. I know some of you, us, us get these documents, a year in review. It might be an email, it might be a, something that comes in the mail. And they'll show you how you spent your money this past year. They'll say 48% uh, was spent on food and groceries and 12% was spent on clothing or whatever it is. They'll show you all of the ways that you spent your money. It's an inventory of what happened in the past year. What if some of us started to do an inventory of how we spent our time in 2019? What our thoughts looked like in 2019? What our goals looked like in 2019? Do those goals look like God's goals and God's purpose and God's divine vision for your life and my life? Or does it look like my own goals? Does it look like my kingdom building instead of God's kingdom building? What does it look like when we take an inventory of this past year? Because here's why we often can't see what God is trying to show us. We look in the wrong places. And that hampers us from seeing what God wants us to see. Here's how Peter puts it in that chapter. He says, for if these qualities those qualities we talked about a second ago, are yours and are increasing. 
They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This coming year, if you're willing to commit to say, God, I want to know you better. I want to know your purpose better. I want to know your plan for myself and for my family better. If you're willing to commit to that, Peter says you will not be ineffective. You will not be an unfruitful person if you commit to that, to know Christ better. But it starts by looking in the right place to stop looking at ourselves, to stop looking at the world to solve our problems, and to start keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus in these situations. So number one reason why we don't often see what God wants us to see is we look in the wrong places. And I think number two is because our vision is often impaired. Our vision is impaired. I shared this story before. I can't see anything because my vision is blurry. I can't see things clearly. I think for many of us, this is the situation we find ourselves in in 2019 and heading into 2020 is this feeling that I don't see God because I just can't see him. I'm blurry when it comes to God. All of these things I want, but I just can't see him that way. I don't get to experience him that way. I don't know him that way. And many times it's because our vision is simply impaired. One of the things that I love about God, and when I gave my heart to Christ, one of the things that I loved about that whole scenario was this. God, the God of the Bible, is the only God who wants to make himself known to people. And that's amazing to me. He wants you to know him. In fact, Paul, if you know the, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the vast, well, who wrote most of the New Testament, or at least most of, uh, more, almost 50% of the New Testament, that Paul once said like this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. This is the man who wrote a huge chunk of the Bible saying, I want to know Jesus. It's this constant quest to know him. But for many of us, what we do day to day is we get so busy, we get so focused on the things that are right in front of us that we refuse to see what's beyond that, and we've impaired our own vision. Helen Keller, the, the, the very famous uh, advocate and activist, especially for people with disabilities, she once wrote like this, the most pathetic person in the world is someone who has sight but has no vision. The most pathetic person in the world is someone who has sight but has no vision. I think many of us have sight. We have it. We're able to see what's right in front of us. But we don't take the time, the energy, the effort to see beyond that, to see what God is asking us to see. And for that reason, we often struggle to build up that relationship with God because we don't see what he wants us to see. So I ask you this morning, how did you use your time this past year? What were your thoughts fixed on this past year? What were the addictions and the struggles that you had this past year? Where were those areas where you found yourself drawing closer to God? And where were those areas where you kind of hid God from parts of your life? Because the answers to these questions will help us figure out where were we impaired in our vision? Where was our sight of God blurry in our lives? I think for many of us, that's the truth. I know it has been for me this past year. It's this blurriness about God because I refuse to look at him. I'd rather see what's right in front of me. My vision is impaired. I'm nearsighted when it comes to life, when it comes to what God has for me. The truth is every one of us sitting here, every one of us, God has a purpose for you. God has designed you for something. 
And for many of us, the answer to that question has often been, yes, he's designed me to do what I'm doing right now. At my job, at school, he's designed me for this. And yes, that could be a part of it. But what else could be a part of it? What else is he asking of us? What else is he calling us toward? And if our eyes are so fixed on that immediate thing, we become nearsighted to the point that we're blind about everything else that God is calling us to. And this morning, if you are willing to commit and say, God, I want to see beyond my life situation into what you're calling me to see, then here's an opportunity for us to do that this morning. Because number one, we look in the wrong places. Number two, our vision is often impaired. And number three, I think we often see what we want to see. We see what we want to see. Let's play a quick game here. How many of you can decipher this image that comes up on the screen right now? Take a second to look at it. How many of you quickly saw a young lady turned away? A young lady turned away. How many of you saw an older woman looking forward? Yeah, it's interesting. About half saw the young lady turned away. How many of you are struggling to see the other one right now? Yeah, a bunch of you, yeah. How many of you are struggling to see the older woman? Because I see the young lady quickly. The older woman's a little harder to see. If you look carefully, you'll see her. <laughs> so take a look and you'll see that she's facing to the side. She's facing that way to my right as she's looking. This image is a famous illusion. It's a famous mirage of two different images blended together. And the truth is most of us see what we want to see. What our brain allows us to see, we will see it. It's one of the things that we naturally do, but it's also one of the things that we spiritually do. We see what we want to see, and as a result, we refuse to sometimes see God. How many of you remember last year's biggest, biggest geopolitical social issue that happened this past year? No, I'm not talking about Russia or China or the United States. I'm talking about the famous dress, of course, is what I'm talking about. The dress, the famous gold and white or black and blue dress. If you remember, social media exploded about the color of this dress. What color is it? Is it gold and white, which about 40% of the population saw as gold and white, and 60% saw as black and blue? It's amazing, because some of us are sitting there going, of course it's whatever color I see it as. We see what we want to see. What our brain tells us to see, we will see. But spiritually speaking, this can often prevent us from seeing God the way he desires to be seen. If you've ever taken our base camp class here at Mount Hope, our little course that we go through for a couple of weeks, you know one of the topics that we talk about is who is God? Who is he? And one of the big things that we touch on is the, misunder the misunderstandings we have of God and how that can affect the way we see him and the way we live our lives. Think about it to yourself. This past year, how did you misunderstand God and therefore see what you wanted to see? For many of us, God is a, a cosmic vending machine, right? We put in the coin and we get a treat or we say our prayers or we do good things and God gives us good things. He's become this vending machine to many of us. We misunderstand God and therefore we see what we want to see and therefore we don't see what God wants us to see. For some of us, God just was Santa Claus this past year. He gives me good gifts or he makes a list and checks it twice. If I've been nice, he'll give me what I want. And that's who God is. And that misunderstanding has led to a poor vision of who God is. For some of us, he's this, this absentee landlord to some of us. This idea of he's there 
and I'm here, but we don't let our paths intersect in any way. And as long as I pay my rent every month, he doesn't care what I do, and our lives don't intersect. He's a landlord to some people. He's a judge to some people. He's Santa Claus to other people. He's a probation officer to some people. He's a vending machine to some people. And this is the way that misunderstandings get in the way of us seeing God clearly. If you think about it, many of us answered the question of who God is by simply reflecting on what he's done for me. As though God can be defined based on what he's done just in my life this past year. Here's what we often struggle with. We don't see what God wants us to see because we see what we want to see. I want God to fit into the neat little box that I've created for him. He is God that I go to in tough times. He is God that I thank in good times. He is God that gives me things when I need it. He is God that answers my prayers when I'm desperate. The neat little boxes we've created for God, and we place him in that box, and we assume as soon as I'm ready, I'll open the box, and I'll deal with God. We see what we want to see. And as a result, we've blinded ourselves. We've made ourselves so nearsighted to understand who God is. Let's be honest. Some of us have started to assume things about God based on what I go through. If I suffer or go through a bad diagnosis or difficulty in life, therefore God must be X based off of that. Some of you may know the name Elizabeth Elliot. That may ring a bell to some of you. But if you don't know the story of Elizabeth Elliot and, and her husband, John Elliot, I'd, rec- I'd recommend that you read the story, Jim Elliot, that I recommend that you read the story of their lives. Elizabeth and Jim were missionaries, and Jim was one of the missionaries, probably one of the most famous modern missionaries that we've had. Uh, he flew into a part of Central America that was very tribal, and many books have been written about this, many movies have been made about it where he flew in with a team and he went to go evangelize and to lead them to Jesus Christ, but he gave up his life in the process as he was martyred. He was killed for his faith in Jesus Christ when he went on this mission. Uh, Later on, that area, it's an incredible story of how many of them came to Christ because of that, that first evangelism that took place through the Elliott family. Jim's widow, Elizabeth Elliott, would write years later, and in fact, Elizabeth Elliott, who lived right here in Gloucester, She would write like this. She would say, our vision is so limited because we can hardly imagine a love that does not show itself in protection from suffering. In other words, it's hard for us to imagine any kind of love that doesn't make our lives perfectly comfortable. The love of God did not protect his own son. He will not necessarily protect us from all harm, not from anything it takes to make us more like his son. You see, Elizabeth Elliot, she had a perspective of God that was not nearsighted. She lost her husband because of his work and his mission for this God. Yet Elizabeth Elliot's perspective was different. She said that God is not just a God who helps me when I suffer or prevents me from suffering. He allows that to happen sometimes because he wants to make me more like his son. He will allow it to happen at times because Elizabeth Elliot had this perspective of God that was not blocked by my present comfort. It wasn't blocked by that. She understood if God had a purpose, if God had a mission, he'll accomplish it and let him use me any way to accomplish that. What have we put between us and God? What misunderstandings and assumptions have we made of God to keep us from seeing him the way that he wants us to see him? 
David Jeremiah is a very well-known preacher and writer here in the United States, and he once wrote it like this, the only way the corporate body of Christ, meaning all of us, will fulfill the mission Christ has given is for individual Christians, each one of us, to have a vision for fulfilling that mission personally. I don't know about you, but I'm convicted by these words. I'm convicted by 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm convicted because I understand that I've put so many things between me and God. I've stacked the blocks in such a way that I am my highest priority and everything else I build is off of myself. And so when I come to this final week of 2019 and when I look at 2020 and a decade ahead, all I can think is, God, I know that I have not seen you the way you want me to see you because I've seen myself first in almost everything. So God, I want you to shake it up a little bit. I want you to change my vision, change my perspective. I want to stop looking in the wrong places. I want to stop having blurry vision. I want to stop seeing what I want to see. And I want to see you this year. I want to see you come through for my family and for my situations. But more than that, I just want to see you. I want to know you better. I want to experience you better. I want to fall into a deeper love with you this coming year. I want these things. But I know the first thing I need to do is to have a clearer vision of who you are. Over these next couple of weeks, we'll have an opportunity to see how we can do that week by week. We'll be looking at things like reading scripture and praying and how we do that well. We're going to talk about things like generosity and giving. We're going to talk about community and worship together. We're going to talk about these things because all of them guide us into a clearer vision, a clearer knowledge of who God is. And so this morning, as our worship team comes back up this morning, I want to close us out in a slightly different way. As we close out a year, as we close out our time together this coming year, there was a moment in Jesus' ministry where his disciples surrounded him and they started to tell him what the people were saying about him. Jesus once asked them, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples, one after another, started saying, some say that you are the prophet Elijah, some say that you are Jeremiah, some say that you are another one of the prophets. And they answered in the way that everyone else was answering. But then Jesus asked them a question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you individually say that I am? And Peter, the same Peter who wrote this, gospel, this letter that we read this morning, would answer like this. He said, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds to Peter, blessed are you, Peter, son of John, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven revealed this to you. Peter was able to see God in that moment. He was able to see a clearer understanding of God. And this morning, as we close, I hope each of us can just take a minute in our own hearts if you want to come forward as we worship and spend some time at the altar, you're welcome to do that. With our eyes closed and our heads bowed this morning to ask the question, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that God is? Now, I don't want you to just answer that question using our words and what we're supposed to say. In 2019, what would your actions say? Who would you say Jesus is? 
Would your actions say that he is my sixth priority? Would your actions say that he is this God that I put in a box that I open every Sunday morning? Would your actions say that he is just this gift giver, this good gift giver? Would your actions say that he's a teacher? Would your actions say that he is just whatever I want him to be? What would the time that we spent this past year say about our vision of who Jesus is? What about your thoughts? What about your finances? What would they say about who Jesus is? This morning we have an opportunity to take an inventory of this past year. And more than that, we have an opportunity to come to this loving, amazing God, this Messiah, this Christ, this Son of the living God, to come before him and to say, God, this coming year, I want to remove the impairments from my life. I want to get rid of these things that blocked my vision of you, that, that, that prevented me from seeing what you wanted me to see, that prevented me from seeing the lives you wanted me to impact, that prevented me from doing more for your kingdom, that prevented me from loving you even deeper, that prevented me from just knowing you. I want to remove those impairments from my life. This morning, we have a chance to commit ourselves for a new year to say, God, I want you. I want to know you better. And it starts by removing the impairments in our lives. I want to pray for us this morning. And as we pray, I hope you'll be thinking about those things and I hope that this coming week, you'll spend some time to take that inventory of your life. When our worship team leads us in song this morning, I, I invite anyone who wants to come forward I tell you this, there is no magical development that happens when you come forward. But there is something that happens in your heart where you take a step, a physical step that matches a spiritual step, where you step forward and commit, Lord, this coming year, I want to know you better. I want to do what it takes to know you better. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and we just say thank you again for this year, God. Thank you for every lesson learned. Thank you for every, every burden that you removed and every burden you gave. Thank you for all the goodness that you showed in our lives. Thank you for every answered prayer. Thank you for every prayer that we wait for an answer for. Thank you so much for how you showed yourself faithful over and over again, Lord. God, we come before you as a church and as a family this morning on this final Sunday of 2019, God, and we just declare, Lord, there have definitely been things that impaired our vision of you, that prevented us from seeing what you wanted us to see. But Lord, as we step into a new year and whatever days you give us, God, I ask that you would give us an ability to see you more clearly, to know you better, to increase in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to be fruitful and effective as Peter writes. Lord God. God, I thank you because you are a loving God, a forgiving God. You, are, you just wait for us at times. God, you are so slow to anger, so abounding in compassion, and I thank you for that, Lord. Thank you so much for your goodness to us, for your love and mercy for another year. Thank you, God, for how you took care of us and protected us day by day. Thank you for how you protected our families and our children and our loved ones. Thank you for that, Lord. But God, this morning we say, God, we want to see you more clearly. Reveal yourself to us. Thank you that you are a God that desires to be known by us. Help us, Lord God, to know you better by seeing you more clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. 
If you need prayer this morning, uh, my wife, Elena, and I will be available up at the front if there's anything that we can be praying for you about. For the rest of us, why don't we rise to our feet at this time? If you'd like to come forward to the altars to pray, you are welcome to do that. Someone may pray with you at some point, but let's worship God this morning. Let's give him thanks for what he's done and look forward with clear vision for what he is going to do.